Hello everybody, episode 25, The Journey Continues. Today I interviewed Mel Atkin, who works for the police. I will let her describe her role herself, which pretty much happens in the first minute of the podcast. But I had a bunch of questions I kind of wanted to ask her. Now, full disclaimer, some of the questions I asked her, she's not able to answer due to the scope of her current role. And she's not necessarily coming on the podcast as a representative for the police as a whole. But she's coming on as herself who works for the police. So the answers that she gives do not necessarily embody the opinions and the perspective of the police as a whole. So just keep that in mind. Anyway, the interview was very fun. I talked to her about a whole bunch of stuff. I talked about what's involved in being a police officer in New Zealand. Keep that in mind for people who are living overseas and listening overseas. This is more focused on police work in New Zealand. And I talked to her about perhaps some of the spillover in terms of anti-police sentiments from the states and kind of the microscope that they are being looked uh, under as of as of late. And um, I wanted to see if that had any flow-on effects here in New Zealand. Anyway, it was a fun episode. Very interesting. Enjoy. And tell me what you think. Thank you. Bye. All right, fantastic. How are you? I'm very good, thank you. Good. We've had a full conversation, and now it feels like we're starting again. Oh, yeah, <laughs> kind of weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, I guess the first thing is, um, you know, who are you, and and what do you do? Cool. Um, so, my name's Mel Aiken. Um, who am I? Um, so, I work for obviously New Zealand Police, um, but I don't think that should define me. So, um, mm. 43, almost 44 years old. Um, been in the job for. Uh, it'd be 22 years in on the 17th of January, so 22 years in the job. Um, and um, when I'm not when I'm not in the police or doing this, uh, my passion is running. So um, that sort of makes up most of my time. Really, that's kind of the the a lot of the when I was doing a bit of research on you, it was just all running. I know, right? So many articles. Yeah. <laughs> You're nuts, dude. Yeah, well, you know, I mean, it seems to be a runner's thing, but um, I call it passion. Some say, you know. Addiction, obsession, obsession yeah. but um, I think it's passion, and yeah. it's a good passion, right? I would, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. My dad would say, yeah, yeah I do. <laughs> I think, um, well, that's actually so. Twenty-two years, and this is actually mm. one of the questions I wanted to ask you later, later on. But that seems like a really long time mm. when I first hear that. Is is that a typical length of service for like a police officer? Yeah, so I think um, probably more traditionally, uh, you join the police for life, and it was a career, you know, and you you join when you were very young, and you saw it through till your retirement. Um, I think now uh, things are changing, and um, take COVID out of the situation where at least police is a guaranteed job. Yes, um, there's a lot, uh, probably greater turnover, um, and people, you know, coming in and um, being a cop. Um, for you know, eight ten years, and then um, moving on. Mm -hmm. um, some, I think, think the grass is greener on the other side, so they will um, leave, and then um, soon after realise actually it was probably not such a bad place to be, and right. um, choose to come back. So we obviously take uh, uh, the right people back, 
um, when there's a suitable position for them. So, yeah, but in, in saying that, so your 22 years is, um, it's a relatively long time, but um, there's some real ancient dinosaurs that have been yeah. there a lot longer. <laughs> and I bet there's probably like a real difference between uh, on the ground uh, rate of attrition versus uh, in the office or in the back end of things. Um, yeah, I probably can't give you some stats on that, but I guess um, the, the, the fantastic thing about our job is that you can do all different things. So, right, there's so many so avenues. So as a sworn member, like I could go back on the street tomorrow. Um, mm-hmm. I'm not, because I'm currently doing a job that's um, based in headquarters, doesn't mean that that's it for me. And if, I mean, so the, there's so many opportunities. Um, you can specialise in different areas. So um, attrition-wise, um, people that you, you generally start and you go onto the front line, um, but then after a period of time, people like to start to either specialise or they work out where their passion lies. Mm-hmm. So they tend to go into particular areas within the job because it's such a big, a big, a big gig, really. So, Definitely, yeah. yeah. I think just going forward as well, just to get some clarity about your role mm. currently in the police mm. and what you've done in the past. You used to be the West Coast area. Commander, yeah. yeah. So um, for three years, I was the area commander on the West Coast, um, and then in 2018, um, came up to the job that I'm currently in, and so that's um, they call it national manager for. Uh, we're called Safer People, but we mm-hmm. look after um, five work streams: so um, health and safety. So I'm responsible for all health and safety for New Zealand Police, wellness um, of our people, uh, physical education. Our medical services that we provide and our return to work function. So that's for people that um, have gone off work through illness or injury and we help rehab them back. So yeah, so that's that's my current role. Cool. And when you were the, the area commander, um, is that more just, because I'm guessing you're dealing much more with macro on that scale, right? Like a larger scale. Yeah. Are you, how many police... Yeah. Stations, is that what I'd say? Districts? Yeah, or? well, so um, the way that uh, police is made up across the country, we have 12 districts, so mm-hmm. we've broken into 12, and every district has three areas. So um, for me on the west coast of the South Island, um, I formed part of the Tasman district. Right. And um, districts can be, they're generally, they, they break them up, um, you know, I guess into the three. For me on the West Coast, I had a very small number of staff because of the nature of the West Coast. Gotcha. Um, but we covered, uh, and I don't know if you know the West Coast that well, but um, from Karamea down to Haast. I know so, Haast, yeah, yeah. So that distance is like the drive time from Auckland to Wellington. Right. And while it's a small strip and it's um, not heavily populated, uh, it still has some really unique demands and so small team of um 65 odd staff on the west coast having to look after policing 24 7 so yeah yeah, so quite a unique area commander role uh compared to say area commanders that are in more your metro areas um and the nature of what you're dealing with um is quite different as well so what what are you is it i I would imagine like if there's anything like that that does happen that's pretty big like a big issue that happens on the west coast mm. is it a slow response time just by the nature of how strewn like you know strewn um, out you guys are well it depends on it really does depend on the nature of the job sure. um so we dealt with uh say on the west coast um 
we had a lot of uh, search and rescue uh, gotcha. operations um, simply because people go and venture into nature and then yeah. get unstuck. And so in terms of response times, we have really good response times because our staff were scattered across the coast um, and we have um, we rely on a lot of community mm. volunteers, uh, people to help and support. So um, that kind of response time is quite quick. But when, when you are talking about... Um, more of an operational response to crime mm-hmm. um, that can be quite challenging in a, in a place like that where you know you could be three hours from the next cop yeah of course up the road you know yeah. and so again really reliant on uh, your community to help and support you definitely um, so yeah interesting yeah well I think that's quite a good point to segue to what I kind of want to talk about next is um, but I mean first of all as a police officer do you see a lot of the issues that we're, we have taking place in society, do you feel like police are kind of used, I think there's a lot of onus put on the police <laughs> and they're kind of used as damage control for issues that should have been resolved further up the line. Mm. And yet they cop all the blame for a lot of the problems that are already taking. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, so like I, when there's like a potentially an MSD problem, then it filters down into then becoming a police problem. Mm. Do you, do you think that's the case? So I think um, the the really cool thing about police is we're doers, you know, mm-hmm. and like we get stuff done and we, we, we're known to, if there's a problem, we just get in and do it. We, we're we good at planning, but we're good at that real critical um, incident management and doing stuff. So, Quick response. So a lot of, a lot of the stuff that um, I guess we, it's not that we get criticised for, but we jump in boots and all and just say, give us the problem and we'll will address it Mm -hmm. yeah absolutely we need to be working uh, alongside our other um, colleagues and agencies Mm -hmm. Um, and sometimes the problem doesn't necessarily sit with police specifically but for us it's about how do we uh, connect and work better with the other agencies to know where our responsibility starts and ends and where theirs does as well so I guess that's an ongoing sort of work in progress well that's literally my next question (laughs) is like how does information filter up between agencies is there like strong ties between like I said MSD and the police are there kind of like a lot of cross communication that's happening or is it somewhat isolated in its own little bubble oh look there's um there's a significant amount of um uh uh, work done across the sector Uh where we are working with partners all the time and i can't talk about all the areas of police um currently i mean i'm in the health and safety and wellness world Mm -hmm. um but across uh, all parts of uh, the sector we have uh, working groups, steering groups, uh, joint projects and ventures where we are trying to make things better for all. Um, so and um, so, absolutely, uh, it, it happens, and a lot of that comes from um, the centralised. You know, I work out of headquarters now, so a lot of that happens within headquarters within the various uh, work groups. Um, but then down to district level and area level. Um, each of the areas will be engaging with their local services um, mm. to respond or prevent things from happening. And so our whole um, business model for policing is prevention first. Right. Um, so we're very much about um, preventing the crime from happening mm-hmm. rather than being that responder that goes and takes the burglary complaint because it's already gone and happened. Yeah, so, um, and that's where I'm talking about that cross-communication being, yeah. in my mind, so essential because yep. prevention would mean years beforehand as well absolutely you know yeah 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 has um and and i I guess on that you know you guys being burdened i think with a lot of responsibility that perhaps should be distributed across society as a whole have the police in nz 
experience any spillover from anti-police sentiments in the States? Yeah, um, look, I mean, so um, I haven't been personally operational in this current role, so mm-hmm. I'm, I'm in headquarters, and so I don't uh, get totally to see or hear at yeah. all. But I am well aware that there is uh, some sentiment out there, you know, like staff will attend a job and they hear Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and, ACAB and, 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 yeah. and that kind of thing. Um, you know, like we don't, uh, I guess we don't dwell on it. We've, we're a completely different, um, you know, setup for mm-hmm. us. And, you know, like... Um, even down to the point where, I guess, um, policing jurisdictions in the US talk about law enforcement, mm-hmm. uh, we're a police service, right. and we deliver a service around preventing harm to our community. So, um, and we're really strong on that. Um, all of our staff, you know, we, we know where we're heading, we know what we are there for, um, mm-hmm. keeping our community safe, rather than that whole law enforcement side of things. So, yes, I guess um, there's always going to be um, some echo in the community of, some people that you know want to think that we are like policing in other jurisdictions but um i guess the really cool thing about new zealand is we have one police force we don't have police forces in each state or you know um district or whatever um we're one and we're united so um that gives us a pretty good strong standing as well it's one of the huge benefits i think of just being a smaller nation as well just how nimble and you know quick we can respond to those things Mm. um but yeah, I mean, I guess I kind of want to dive a bit more into that as well, like the differences between like New Zealand police and the U.S. So you were saying there's probably a bit more of an onus in the States to just be enforcing, uh, I guess force is probably mm. like the big mm. idea there. Do you feel like within New Zealand police, there's like a bit of a, a, a push to be community members? Oh, I mean, that's a... That's at the heart of why we're here. Sure. Part of the community, working with the community for the community. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we took safer communities together. But, I mean, I know that sounds like catchphrasey, but it actually is why we're here, mm-hmm. um, preventing harm to the community. So, um, yeah, and, and look, I haven't uh, policed overseas. Um, I've had some exposure with um, talking with colleagues in different jurisdictions, um, but I think we're entirely different um, in how we view what our role and our purpose is. Is there a push within New Zealand to employ officers from the areas that they're actually from? So let's say, you know, Auckland, we will hire mm. officers or people from mm. Auckland to become police officers. Yeah. So um, the really cool thing about what we do now with our hiring is about um, hiring for the communities that we're serving. Yes. And so embracing diversity, you know, diversity is one of our core values, but the point around that is um, we have to be reflective of the communities we serve. Um, so um, our whole recruitment, um, how we recruit is absolutely about reflecting mm. the people that are going to go back and actually um, support the people in the communities. Sure. So um, I, I guess like traditionally, I say traditionally, historically, a long time ago, when you joined the police, you didn't even know where you were going to get posted. Right. And you would go through uh, police colleges or recruit, and I think you would wait till sort of like the last week and get told, oh, you're going to go to here, here, or here. And I mean, long term, that's never going to work. Um, one, because if your heart and soul wasn't in the place where you're posted, all you ever want to do is go back to where you mm, want to be from. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second part is, how can we just put a, uh, how can we just put someone somewhere um, and not be thinking about the communities that they're actually going to be uh, working alongside? So and there's so much nuance, I think, to each community as well. Mm. And you know, you see it with different countries, you see it with different you know areas in New Zealand as well. I think to take somebody from a totally different area chuck them in and then 
I guess, with discretion, but apply a set of laws, which some in some cases don't necessarily work in certain areas or just, you know, approaching it a bit more tactfully mm. as well, which I think is huge. And I think is what's happening in the States as well is yeah. unfortunately you're getting officers uh, you know, who have employed, uh, you know, started in a different city, you grew up in a different area, and then they get put into an area where they have no idea how things actually yeah. are, are run or organized. And yeah. so many clashes. Yeah. Um, so we, so I agree. And um, what we uh, want to enable our people, our staff to do is um, be problem solvers mm -hmm. and very much principles based to achieve the right outcomes. So instead of it being very prescriptive as to this is how you will do X, Y, and Z, obviously we're bound by some legislation, but mm -hmm. um, if they can problem solve and do what's right for the people they're serving, then mm -hmm. that's actually what we need. Um, and we have some really, really smart, intelligent people in our in our um, organization, which is really cool, you know, like smarter than me sitting trying to come up with a way of doing things um you know the more freedom you give uh people um to actually come up with that way to solve a problem in the community it works mm. so yeah. there are some issues though right with like discretion like yep. when it comes to police discretion i guess a lot of it comes in and this is the huge conversation once again in the states i wonder if this spill over here is you know ingrained biases and as you mentioned mm. before perhaps a older police force in certain regards that are perhaps bringing in uh, ideologies and thoughts that don't mm. necessarily represent the way that society is moving today. Mm. Are police officers trained to like recognize certain biases? And I mean, we see like, you know, a discrepancy between, you know, uh, NZ European, Pakeha, mm. people with marijuana, yep. and then enforcing, once again, with discretion, the possession laws, perhaps on uh, with Pacifica and Maori people mm. with mm. more consistency. So that's a huge piece of work for us um, mm. around unconscious bias. Um, huge, yeah. Absolutely. So um, I think if you were to go out and ask any member of police, you know, do you have a bias or an unconscious sure, bias? They'll say, they'll, they'll say, they'll say, yeah. but um, part of it, you know, part of the nature of how we are brought up, you know, and into the world and the families that we grow up and connect with, you know, like it's, there's part of you that even if you, it's that unco unconscious bias. So um, absolutely, it's a key, a key piece of, our work, I say our, but the organisation in terms of understanding what unconscious bias means and how we address that. Mm. Um, so, yeah. yeah. So, what does that look like at the moment? Is that just more training? Is that more conversations around what that actually is? is yeah. There... So, there's so there's definitely a lot of um, training that's already gone on mm -hmm. um, around unconscious bias. Again, it's not a piece of work that I'm directly involved in. Which, and um, I, just full disclaimer, yeah. I understand that your role does not yeah. necessarily encompass this. <laughs> exactly. And I understand it's a big question but, that I'm asking you. But in saying that, um, it's not that it's um, training like that is defined purely to our frontline. It's for all our all right. the organisation because we don't want it to be that uh, we are only um, thinking about those that are dealing with the community. It's, it's us as an organisation, you know, mm -hmm. we want to be uh, fair, transparent, um, and remove any of those biases that we may have had in the past. So, Yeah, which is, yeah, which is huge. I think, um, and as far as, I guess, like, is there a big emphasis on, on de-escalation when it comes to conversations between the public and the police? Yep. Yeah. So instead of like going and up here. Yeah, sure. Here. You know, sir, sit down, yeah, you know, yeah. is there more of like, yeah, is that a huge, is there a huge emphasis on? Yeah. So, um, we have what's called a tactical options framework and, um, just to really simplify that, it's, uh, I guess it's the staging of how we would approach uh, an incident and at what level of force you go in, um, 
at right. as a starting point. Um, and the starting point is always comms, you know, and it's how you deal with people, how you talk with people. Uh, in terms of um, training to an aside to that, but relevant is um, we've delivered training across the organisation about um, roadside interactions, you know, because, um, I mean, personal personal stories from me is, you know, I've been operational for 19 of my 22 years or 18 of my 22 years and uh, dealt with thousands and thousands of people on the side of the road stopping cars, dealing with drink drivers and bits and pieces. Mm. And how you deal with them... Um, determines the outcome that you get from them, right? And so um, when you can issue somebody a ticket because they've done something, you know, like they've speared or they've gone through a stoplight and they thank you at the end of it, mm -hmm. you know you've done something right because yeah. actually they're... Because well, if I got given a ticket, I don't know, I'd be thanking a cop. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. but, you know, I mean, it's about how we engage with people and absolutely low-level... Because um, we're human and they're human and mm -hmm. we're dealing with humans. Um, so... We know that if you start up here with the, how you go into a situation, mm -hmm. it's really hard to bring it back down. If you start in low and you go through your tactical options framework and you, you know, I mean, the natural thing is you, you start by your talking. Sure. Um, if that doesn't work, then you may need to escalate your decisions as to what you might need to use. But ultimately, start low, deal with the person as a human and, um, and go yeah, generally a pr pretty good response. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd imagine, I think when, when, when you were operational, is that's like yep. on the road, do you think you would place a, a bigger emphasis on that because of training or just because of your upbringing and you know, how you've seen the world come before coming into the police? Yeah. I, I, look, I think there's, I mean, there's a bit of both there, right? So, um, we, we heavily train our staff, mm -hmm. um, to ensure that they're safe. Because that's ultimately we need our people to be safe. So if they're going into a situation and they go in at a high level, because we deal with a lot of pretty gnarly incidents, and you don't always know what you're going to turn up to. Um, but if they if they go in already amped up before they get there, then their decision making can be maybe impaired or impacted because you know they've got adrenaline going through yeah. them, and so they're not necessarily thinking. Um, calm methodical you know they need to go through their their decision making process as to how they're going to treat it um we have introduced into uh recruit training now cognitive conditioning which is um basically it's a form of um it's a new form of training which escalates the heart rate and then um at the end of getting so we we basically put them under a lot of physical oh, pressure yeah. and then get them to make some pretty pretty gnarly decisions you know in the training environment mm -hmm. um and uh we monitor their heart rate and and all of their stress levels and bits and pieces and then um see how they respond and the more that we can do of that is really where we want to head because um we know that i mean it's one thing to train in an environment where everything you know you're not gonna you know nothing's really gonna happen and um but once you start putting people under some stress for some physical stress and then they're having to make some decisions whether it's about pulling a firearm or whatever that might be um, that's when we need to really be testing our guys and getting them in, into that comfortable zone where they can really um, sort of bring their heart rates down and think about what they're doing think about what they're saying and what 
response they're going to give. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's is that a new development that's going to happen within training? Or um. So we've had it going Did for. Do you want some more coffee, by the way? Uh, no, oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Well, Go on. I got a bit it's left. Great coffee. Oh, it's not bad. I got it's, it from Raglan Roast, which is oh, where my brother worked. Cool. Thank actually. you. It's very um, good. And yeah, I mean, this, you're actually the first person that I've had coffee with on the podcast. Really? I got the plunger in specifically just going forward because I keep buying people coffees. And <laughs> it's just like, it's much better. It's, yeah, this is better. And it's also like burning a hole in my pocket. It will be. It will be. So, <laughs> so no, I just have it here. You've, d- you've done well. You've done well. Totally. Um, so. Thank you. Yeah. Um, no, so the cognitive uh, training we have mm. had in for probably close on I think two years but what we want to be able to do is develop it so um, it's not just part of recruit training but it's ongoing training well, for this is what staff. I was going to say is it retrospective as well yeah. to police officers yeah so so we have a very uh, very big training program for all of our st- uh, operational staff and that's um, ongoing training program ongoing or? training uh, the cognitive conditioning is something that we'll be bringing into that as well gotcha um, so yeah because that's a really good part to, to have so, definitely yeah 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 um what do you say to someone, and I know the phrase like reform the police is mm-hmm. such a huge thing. And I think in Wellington, especially, we live in a bit of an echo chamber where perhaps there are more police anti-police sentiments than most of New Zealand. But in the circles that I hang around with, there's a lot of emphasis on the idea of just reforming the police. Mm. Um, Interesting. Do you, do you not see much of that? Nope. <laughs> then that, yeah, then maybe I just, I'm very uh, blinkers on naive. Perhaps, but. or perhaps it's just maybe I am as well in like mm. my own little bubble. But um, if that's the case, maybe we should just move on from that question. I'm curious though. So, what what would be your what is the sentiment that says that there should be reform of police? Totally. So, I think uh, I was having a conversation with somebody recently, mm. and their initial statement was abolish the police. And my immediate thinking is like, well, what does that look like? Because there has to be some kind of system that gets put in place mm. uh, for the huge range of situations that you guys deal with, right? Yeah. Um, and then it, we ultimately come down to like an issue of semantics, where it's like we create a new force that deals with this. Well, you're essentially saying it's the police. Yeah. You know, just giving a different name. I think what a lot of people say when it comes to reform the police is that, and I, in, in my mind, I think from what I understand, the police's, uh, police officer's job is almost too large for the individual mm. in terms of the range of situations you guys deal with. For example, if there's a, a individual having a psychotic break, mm. perhaps it's not the police officer's role to go out there, but instead a trained, uh, and I know this is a perfect world, a psychologist, and I know we have a huge shortage in those, mm-hmm. but perhaps there's a separate department that would come out mm. uh, that would deal with those issues. Yeah. Um, and I think from what I understand, that's kind of what reform the police looks like. Perhaps mm. instead of we having this one structure right here that deals with everything, mm. it's broken down, mm. compartmentalized based on the call that's coming out. Yep. We have somebody who's drunk. It's a different person who gets sent out versus somebody who is not drunk, wielding a knife, mm. you know, running around. Mm. Similar to what we just had in Wellington, actually. I was there for that, by the way. I don't even know what you're talking about. I'll tell you about it in a sec. <laughs> but let's just, yeah. <laughs> um, but you, do, you, do you understand where I'm coming from yeah, in that sense? Yeah, I do. And I guess we're always, uh, as an organization, looking at um, uh, looking at those types of things. You yeah. Know? And when we talked earlier about... Uh, working with agencies to not be the us be the the doers of everything it's about whose role is this and whose responsibility is this for this for this job i mean you know you talk about the um 
going to uh, an, an incident where there could be a psychotic person or, you know, like... Um, and that's just or an a example. Med- a mental health patient. Yeah. Absolutely. So uh, we've had pilots run in different districts where we have uh, mental health nurses mm-hmm. actually um, embedded in our custody units. Uh, so while they're not necessarily going out on the job at the time with us or going instead of us, they, um, they are there looking after... Uh, people that have been brought into custody, so prisoners, that actually um, they probably shouldn't be looked after by police because sure. they have mental health issues, but they need to be secured. So, um, so that kind of thing does is happening, uh, and I guess it's all about continuous improvement, right? And, Kaizen, and to, yeah, just yeah, yeah. So constant state of improvement in that sense. Yeah, but Pretty I think much. that's kind of like what I see a lot of. And once again, I think with the biases mm. aspect of things, where it's like if you do have. Uh, uh, and it, you know, I don't want to dance on the lines of like ageists and ageism, but if you have like an officer who's like 60 years old mm-hmm. and who grew up in a time when perhaps that doesn't reflect the current society yeah. that we live in, yeah. but when that individual is using discretion uh, to apply certain laws, that can have certain issues, which I want to ask you about actually the new recruits that are coming into the police. What's the, the demographic of new people coming in? Uh, so it's, uh, man, it's extensive, right? Sure. <laughs> it's, yeah, um, yeah. So we're... <clears throat> Where and I'm stereotyping where it once would have been a you know six foot male, predominantly male middle class middle class white um, who's got a trade behind them, mm-hmm. um, that is no longer. So we're getting um, I shouldn't use the words anything and everything, but uh, we talk about a wide diversity, range of people, sure. massive range of people, and again it's about the reflective of the communities. So um, looking at um, cultural aspects, um, age diversity. Um, so we're, we're bringing people into the organisation um, in their 50s. Mm-hmm. That And, and it's kind of weird um, in some respects because I think, man, if I, was, if I was in my 50s, the last thing I'd want to be doing is joining the police and having to do night shifts. But sure. actually, there's people out there that have always had a passion to want to join the police. And previously, they would have been excluded because of their age. Mm-hmm. You know, like, oh, we can't have you come in anything over 40 because, you know... Certain X, Y, Z But actually, um, that kind of person might be amazing at doing X, Y, and Z. Sure. So, um, yeah, yeah. and at the other end of the spectrum, um, we're bringing in really young people that have huge potential, <clears throat> excuse me, um, I mean, obviously everybody has to go through the recruitment standards, so uh, it's not that our, our standards change to allow anybody and everybody in. We have we have a baseline. Is um, it just physical, that baseline? Um, there's, a, there's a range of testing that goes on, so there is the physical testing and then there's... Um, there's Critical problem solving. Yeah, that kind of stuff, mm-hmm. and there's a range of other things that they go through in the recruitment process. Gotcha. Um, so, yeah, so uh, we have a really... Uh, broad brush of um, people coming into the organization which is really cool yeah Um, really cool yeah Yeah. definitely yeah and once again I think it just kind of speaks to maybe changing the idea of what a police officer looks like but Mm. also what their role entails absolutely community minders rather than once again like you say in the states enforcers of the law exactly yeah exactly right um yeah well I guess kind of speaking now to your current role Mm. as a once again it was a so national manager, mm-hmm. uh, I think we're changing our names to directors. So director of, uh, call it safer people. Mm-hmm. So yeah, health and safety and wellness, basically. Cool. And a few other things. Um, 
let's speak because physically I think it's quite clear the, the strain that police officers would have both like endangering themselves as well as other stuff but like I guess mentally yeah. somebody was saying to me recently that a police officer in their first six months or perhaps a year of being on the job on on like you know in the streets uh, they experience the same amount of trauma that a civilian would in their entire lifetime mm, highly likely yeah and so <laughs> how does that what is the big shift in attitude that you guys are trying to push yeah amongst officers dealing with that stuff yeah so um i guess this is where my passion lies um and i say that because uh so we're always we look at health and safety and we've always been very safety conscious we're very very good at doing the safety stuff we Mm -hmm. have to be yeah and um physically we uh we ensure that our people are you know physically fit and well um, we've always had a wellness service in place for like 40 odd years and um, but it's I guess traditionally been very much about um, a response to attending incidents or response to uh, trauma so you know our guys go off to uh, numerous jobs that they're exposed to that they probably never thought they would actually be going to as mm-hmm. a cop um, because we <laughs> just as an aside but you know like if you watch those silly tv programs about police it's all the fun kind of stuff Mm -hmm. you don't ever see the actual stuff that we deal with um around dead bodies and advising people of some pretty awful things and all of that kind of thing so yeah so um so for me and my my current role it's really about uh breaking down stigma around mental health um, having our staff feel that they can speak up and say, I'm not feeling okay or I'm not okay, and then having the appropriate services in place to support our guys. Um, and the old school, you know, big burly cop, um, you know, really staunch, uh, couldn't, you know, be seen to cry or sure. show their emotions. Um, actually, you're human and um, you can't tell me that you don't feel anything mm-hmm. um you can find ways of coping and managing but um you wouldn't be human if you didn't feel something when you deal with people or you see trauma so so for us it's about really driving the mental health wellness component across the organization um and um in saying that ensuring that our people have really good education access to resources that one sets them up to be really resilient um, but also services there for when they do actually need them they can um, go and see uh, so we have wellness advisors in every district Um, we have a chaplaincy service Um, we have access to uh, psychologists throughout the whole country Mm. and we offer as basically as much as we can to our people to go and see psychologists Um, we have a range of other uh, I guess policies and practices in place that ensures people that are being regularly exposed to trauma um, are actually getting ongoing supervision with a a clinical psychologist um, so they don't get to that point where they're at breaking point and then they need support. So we've got a range of things um, in place that actually support our people. Got you. And I guess like having those things is all good and well, but like how do you get people actually to use them? Yeah, so um, so that is that is the challenge, sure. um, and I think you know as we bring in more diverse people into the work, into the organisation, mm-hmm. that helps because there's not just that traditional siloed kind of big staunch cop who can't 
you know, show their emotions. Sure, sure. So right from day one of them coming into college, our team go in and talk to them about actually, you know, this is police, you are you, these are our services. Um, we have an online uh, called a wellness hub, but basically it's a portal where um, we are constantly feeding information, um, access to resources, advice for uh, staff and also their families because it's really important that families understand what's happening mm, um, to, mm-hmm. to their individual. So um, so there's the education and ongoing training and, and, and support uh, for our people. Um, what we've found, um, the best buy-in you get uh, about changing sort of mindset around mental health is having our own staff tell their personal stories. Because, right. you know, like, you, can have, um, you can have some academic... Sure. Tell you all this or the stuff. organization telling you you need to do this. Yeah, but when you get a, um, and I use the example because it's a, a real example of a dog Should handler. Just get the mic a tiny bit closer. Oh, sorry, no, sorry. You're all good. You're fine. So, um, example of a um, a dog handler when he can go and put his video and talk online, which goes on our wellness hub, um, to everybody about how he uh, went through the death of um or a suicide of a colleague mm-hmm. um and what it, what how it impacted him and how he reached out for help um that kind of thing those kind of real stories from from our people mm-hmm. um are what start to get that change in mindset um we've um and we're finding our our guys are really i say guys guys and girls are really willing to actually um speak up and mm. talk about when they've suffered uh, mental health you know uh episodes um and there's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really just how do we ensure that that stigma is removed and people can feel safe to actually talk about it because um, that's the only way that you really get buy-in from people to want to do something different or, or, you know, get some help. Is there still, like, a legacy of, like, the, you know, big man? Uh... I think it's. Uh, I think there's always going to be an element of that. Sure. Um, we'd be, um, I think, naive to say, oh, no, we don't have that. Everybody's, right. you know. Um, I mean, we've got 14,000 plus in our organisation, so it's a big organisation. Mm-hmm. Um, but we are seeing more and more people take up uh, our services. Oh, we've got EAP as well, so that's access to, um, to counselling and support. So um, more and more people take that up, and it's probably more from that early, more prevention aspect rather than waiting till something sure, really bad happens. Sure, waiting breaks and you have yeah, to fix it. Yeah, which is cool. But, um, you know, like if I can do nothing more than in the time that I'm in this current role, it's to um, break down that stigma as much as I can and sure. ensure that um, the support is there for our guys. Yeah, mm. yeah, that is massive. And I think that's happening across a lot of organizations too. When mm. I was working at MB, it was the uh, uh, exact same thing yep. very much like this uh, you know not stigmatizing yep. and i think that's changing society societally as well you know the so stigma too, right? of mental health uh and just being aware of certain things mm. you know i think i think that's massive mm. um you pretty much answered all my questions that i had Please. about that topic right there <laughs> um just a, a side note that i'm kind of curious on and i think i want to get like another uh, do another episode about this with somebody but the, the rising rate of crime in Wellington. Mm. Are you able to give any insight into that? And totally understand if you can't. Look, I, I can't. And it's only... Uh, I probably sound a little bit naive, but it's only because I... The current role I'm in... Sure. Um, so if you were to speak with the district commander for Wellington District, uh, he would absolutely be able to give you some insight. Yeah. And um, I think it would be probably inappropriate for me to comment totally on it, it because yeah. I don't I don't necessarily have my finger on the pulse in terms of what's happening. Yeah. Um, 
Well, what, what what I was gonna say before on on New Year's, there was the stabbings. Those those four stab. Did you did you know much? There were four stabbings much. on the waterfront recently over New right. Year's, and I was like right there. Oh, yeah. I didn't see the actual stabbing itself, but I saw the fight breaking out. It was I think the first fight of 2021 actually, because wow. the fireworks were going off while they were yep. duking it out. Um, totally unrelated, but <laughs> but yeah, I was I'm just yeah. You see, because I think Wellington was labeled the most dangerous city in New Zealand just oh, recently. Really. Yeah, yeah. From what I hear, the the rate of crime and the rate of of petty. Mm. I don't know how you necessarily measure danger, mm. um, but from mm. the cr- rate of crime per capita or something like right. that would be would be around that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but I'm not certain about that. Mm. Um, I'm not anymore now that you said that. <laughs> 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 oh my god. <laughs> um, did COVID kind of contribute to an increase in the rate of recruitment? Within the police? Oh, yeah, we had a... Because um, I heard a bunch of people talking about like, jobs filled <laughs> to become a police officer. Yeah, we. Um, I, I, I can't give you the numbers, but I do know that our stats for people going online and doing the initial uh, <laughs> sign-up went whoo, skyrocketed, <laughs> right? So, um, yeah, people were very willing to want to come and join us. And um, we had to probably put a little bit of a lid on um, our recruitment numbers. There was a limit on intake, right? Or maybe yeah, that was yeah, we had to just slow it down a bit. Um, uh, I mean, we only have so much that we can employ. Sure. And budget and, for XYZ, um, yeah. yeah, and um, so there will obviously be more recruitment wings this year coming. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we certainly had a... Um, a big spike in people wanting to join. It's the largest it's ever been right now, the police, right? I think. Yeah, you know, it's continuing to go. On the ground, like 9,600 or something like that? Yeah, probably just a little bit over that, but um, yeah, yeah, just probably on 10,000. So. Wow. Yeah, wow. yeah. when I say okay. 10,000, that's like uniform staff. So. Got you. Okay. Yeah, so it's a, it's a pretty big engine. Do you see a lot of people coming from the military entering the police force? Ah, uh, oh gosh. Um, probably more a question for recruitment, to be fair. But um, yeah. not that. No, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say so. Um, Got you. Yeah. 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 I mean, honestly, we have all walks of life. Yeah. Come and join. Um, we have a lot of people that join place uh, as a non-sworn, and um, they just all they want to do is actually be a cop. And mm-hmm. so uh, there was someone in my own team um, who. You know, like middle-aged, um, a specialist in the area that she worked in, and but her desire right from day one was to want to join the police. So now she's operational. You know, she's um, out there. absolutely loving it too, and doing yeah. a fantastic job. So that's the kind of cool thing. And um, there's so many different avenues and career paths you can take um, in the in the job because it's so big. So sure. it's kind of cool. Yeah. What do you reckon? Final question for you, actually. Um, do, what do you think the biggest misconception the police have? the police face here in New Zealand? Oh, gosh. Um, hmm. You guys are robot hive mind kind of thing. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, uh, yeah, I I don't know, actually. Um, I mean, I'm always very much glass half full. Um, I like to think that people uh, support us and see the good that we're doing and are trying to do. Um, And that um, that is actually why we're here. We actually, we, there is no ulterior motive. You know, we're here to actually keep our community safe. Um, I'm here to keep our people safe so they can keep the community safe. Gotcha. And um, there is nothing else, you know. It's, There's no it's, other, you know, there is, there is, QAnon conspiracy going on. No, I hate to say it. I hate to bore you, but um, no, it's, uh, it's genuinely, genuinely about delivering to our communities and um, making it a safe place for, you know, making New Zealand the safest place to live and be really yeah. and work so 
Um, and I think we're doing a pretty good job at that when you look around the rest of the world. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Yeah, yeah, I think we can take for granted like the quality of life we have in New Zealand. Not to say there are things that can't be fixed or yeah. improved on, but nonetheless, I think you can always fall back on like, oh yeah, we have a pretty, on average, high quality of life. Well, that's it. Eh? You know, um, it is easy to criticise and look for the nit, you know, nitpick on all the little things. And I don't think that's a bad thing to do either, though. Oh, you can, you can always improve. Yeah. And, and it isn't a bad thing, but um, you've got to balance it and sure. go, actually, on a whole, um, we're doing pretty well. And you look at our response to COVID, and yeah. we're relatively walking around like, nothing's really happening in New Zealand mm -hmm. and you only need to look outside of New Zealand and go actually you know the world's turned pretty ugly right now but um we still all got to enjoy Christmas um sure. those kinds of things and so I think it's about um acknowledging those small things as well and um just sort of keeping everything in balance and perspective yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm. well hey thank you so much for coming on you didn't ask me anything about running should we talk about it? No, it's all good. I just, you know, I just, I hear so much about running with my dad. I'm like, oh. That's totally Everyone's fine. Everyone's talking about their 10K times and stuff. I'm like, oh, what is your 10K? What's the fastest 10K you've actually ever done? Oh, see, I'm not really a short distance kind of yeah, person. Yeah, you're an ultra, so. ultra. Well, I do longer stuff. Uh, 10K, I've done about 36 minutes. Yeah, so. that's actually pretty good. Yeah. What's the longest distance you've actually run? Um, 100. 100K? Nothing, nothing more than that. Like your dad's mental he's on the stage races kind of thing you know yeah, where he's I like know. multiple multiple but that's did you was that 100 continuous yeah yeah yeah, yeah. what did yeah. you feel after were you just wrecked for like a, oh no you no. were fine yeah um the 100 so i do i do ultras but i don't like doing like i wouldn't do the miler like yeah i um and um the actual 100k was a road road champs so it was actually down at Hagley uh, Park yeah might have been there mm -hmm. Hagley Park and it's around a 2.5k course so, another one yeah another one um yeah. and I could have kept going it was pretty cool I feel like that would just drive me more mentally insane <laughs> just going around could I you think, have gone for you could have gone further you think yeah yeah I could have but I think those people that go round and round a 400 meter track yeah for a, you know 24 hours <laughs> I think you, like you're dead yeah I think that's just crazy it's insanity yeah there's no way well actually it's really really clever really clever up here kind of people yeah you know don't get me wrong like I think you definitely have, to have like a lot of mental resilience yeah. to push through that but I just there's something about I, I run but nothing like that you know I might yeah. do like 30 minutes you know three or four times a week yeah uh, but I love going up in the hills you oh, know cool. yeah. love doing the hills love being yeah. in the forest and stuff like that nice. are you running trails or are you running yeah I, I do both yeah, yeah okay. trails I got an ultra in February down in um, Old Ghost so that's uh, inland from Westport. Yeah. Um, and that's an 85k. So um, is that a rail rail trail? It's um, it's a, I think it, well, it's a they use it for mountain biking. Yeah. Um, but I think it was some old kind of no, it wasn't a rail trail, but some kind of wagon trail or something like that. Mm, not even that. I'm not sure. Yeah. yeah. You ready for it? You excited? Oh yeah, I've done it a few times, and oh, it's yeah. just beautiful to go back there. And you ever won it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> that was that classic Kiwi. Yeah, yeah, yeah I want yeah, it. Yeah. But it's, it's not about that. Like, to me, uh, races are just about doing as well as I can and really enjoying it. Because, like, I just, I love running. So, yeah, um, yeah I'm a bit of a crazy runner. Yeah, fair enough. Are you, do you go overseas at all for the races? Or are you yep. sick of, I mean, obviously not now. Yeah, like, no, we did, um, uh, like, running overseas. Like, that's Hawaii. The, did you do some races in Hawaii? Yeah, we were done, talking a, about done a few being, in Hawaii. Um, gotcha. I did a couple of um, world trail world champs, so um, Portugal and Spain. Um, oh, yeah. One year was the first year was 
Spain and then the next year was Portugal and then last year obviously with COVID we couldn't go anywhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and, I've, and China, I've run in China, I've done a couple of um, marathons in China. Um, you running during summer or are you running during winter? I run all year. When you go to China though or oh, like Spain, are was, you like... Um, they were both, uh, so China was um, our November, December, uh, November, December, so it was quite cold. Okay, think, yeah. Trying to think. Because I, I, I would imagine, because I know like my dad did a race in the Sahara a while back, yeah. like an ultra then, and like his training was loads of running, but also like a lot of sauna. Sauna, yeah. Yeah, just yeah. to condition yourself for the yeah. heat. Yeah. Um, were you doing the same? Or? Oh, look, I tend to just wing it a wee bit. Yeah, um, And I mean, I'm not doing those big, crazy races sure. where you're out forever. Um, so like the trail world champs, they were certainly hot conditions, but you're only out for... Oh, eight, ten hours. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not, it's not big days out. There's a real factor of attrition, right? If you're going for like five days, yeah, yeah, something like that, where you just have to. It's, I imagine there's a little more race management involved. Oh, too, absolutely, yeah, you know? yeah, totally. I was blown away when I did the half, the round of base half, just how much race management was just in that, like in yeah. terms of your pacing, yeah. and which is why I mean, I see you got that. Is that a Garmin watch you got on? Yeah, yeah, um, those things are huge. You know, like, <laughs> they're so useful in terms of like. All right, because especially when you get into the mental game of seeing people pass you, but you're sticking at your pace, yep. you're just going for it, and then you just, it's crazy, you just eat them up as you go around the next thing. You do, and, and it, yeah, I mean, if it could be so easy just to get uh, sort of um, drawn into Caught you know, up everyone in going fast. The gun and, goes and everyone's, ah! Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and um, once you learn how to race um, and get out of that mindset of, you know, everyone has to go yeah. um, and just run your own race. You know how you've trained. So if you know how you've trained, you know how you can go into race day and you just got to stick to your plan. Yeah. And there's nothing yeah. more satisfying than when you're just passing. Like, people, I know, right? You know, you're just like oh, 15 people, 20 people. <laughs> it can be kind of cool. It's awesome. You feel like a badass. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> totally. So. All right. Well, hey, thank cool. you so much for coming on. Awesome. Appreciate it. And uh, yeah, catch you later. Thank you. That was us. Nice. Alrighty, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed. That was fun. That was a blast. Normally, at this point, I kind of give my guests a bit of promo. You know, you can find them on Instagram and stuff like that. Um, but you can't really find Mel anywhere. So in lieu of that, I'm going to go ahead and promote myself. I have a comedy tour coming up all across New Zealand. Starting in Auckland on the 18th of February, 18th, 19th, and 20th, and then down to Wellington on the 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th of Feb, and then we'll be touring all across the South Island. To find out more details about that, go ahead and check out the description of this episode, or go on to AmericanRefugees.co.nz. Anyway guys, thank you. Paula. Bless up.